let me get just a, a, a brief introduction. I, I pastor just outside of Oklahoma City, southwest of the city, in uh, a once fairly rural uh, community that's uh, transitioned. I've been the pastor at the church I'm at for almost 28 years. And um, I started when I was 12. <laughs> and I uh, have two daughters and uh, four grandkids. And, uh, and that's just a, a little bit about me. I, I've watched Lasso Binge Style um, with a couple from our church who come over all, every Friday night or nearly every Friday night. We sit on the patio and we take in some series that we all kind of like and agree to, and Lasso was one of them. So when Everett called and said, hey, would you would you do something? I thought, well, I think this this would work. So thank you for being here, and, and uh, um, again, I'm, I'm trusting you'll be gracious and humor me. <laughs> Basketball is my favorite sport, um, so I, I, I want you to imagine my excitement when uh, our youngest daughter, Tommy, uh, all of maybe five or six broke free on the soccer field and headed toward the goal. I screamed to the player with the ball, pass it. And once Tommy received the pass, I noticed the teenager in the yellow shirt and black shorts vigorously raise a flag on the opposite side of the field he'd been carrying the entire time. Play stopped. I, I was incredulous. I, I yelled, she had a layup. <laughs> she had been called off sides. What? Ted Krim, a reporter for The Independent, hoped to embarrass Ted Lasso, Richmond's new soccer coach, and asked, just curious, could you explain the offsides rule? Lasso replied, well, Trent, I'm going to put it the same way the U.S. Supreme Court did back in 1964 when they define pornography. It ain't easy to explain, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> in the vocabulary of our low church, free church, Baptist tradition, and, and I'm using tradition, I understand it's a bit of an oxymoron. I believe God called me to preach some 40 years ago. A few years later, I thought God narrow that to pastor, preacher, my mentor, he often noted in self-deprecating humor that he was proof that Baptists will ordain anyone that moves to the gospel ministry and license anyone who can't. <laughs> I wonder what he was actually trying to say to me. I know most of us, if you're a pastor or if you're active in your church, you should know that most of us begin pastoring the way Ted Lasso began as European football coaching career he said you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football and I get to thinking had I heard Fleming Rutledge's sermon from 1979 the year before I received the call from God I might have followed through on my initial intention to become an architect in her sermon titled the burden of this people Fleming described Moses the pastor and so we are told, she writes, or preached, Moses heard the people lamenting, all of them in their families at the opening of their tents. You can imagine the scene. It's evening in the Sinai wilderness, the end of another long and exhausting day. 
Moses had been up since dawn, moving about the camp, attending to everyone's needs, visiting the sick, calling on the shut-ins, meeting with the altar guild, preaching, teaching, examining the flocks and herds, checking out building and grounds, supervising the Hebrew school, calling in the Environmental Protection Agency about the polluted well, conducting worship, and searching for concealed golden calves. Now it's twilight, and he's on his way to dinner. What does he hear? Does he pass his tent after tent? He hears one gripe after another as whole families join in the complaining, making no attempts to keep their voices down. How much longer does he expect us to eat this manna? Did you see the sloppy way they burn the sacrifices this morning? Why don't they play some hymns we can sing? When are we going to get to the promised land? Reuben told me there's going to be a draft Joshua meeting tomorrow at 10 a.m. My kid didn't get asked to serve at the altar. He spends way too much time on administration and not enough time visiting newcomers. I liked it better the way it used to be. Pastoring it is not for the faint of heart. I mean, who hasn't prayed? I didn't birth these people. Moses almost led the first great resignation. And whatever length of time it took for Moses to have his fill, he clearly understood that he'd been weighed and measured and found wanting. Or Moses understood low anthropology, including his own. Jamie Tart, Richmond's star soccer player, he was no Moses. While Moses is telling God to put him out of his misery, Jamie is asking, God bless me, everyone. <laughs> Moses does not have the supply chain to secure enough meat for all the people. And Jamie is so convinced of his own abilities that he tells Lasso, Coach, I'm me. Why would I want to be anything else? Enter Apple TV theologian Ted Lasso, who sneaks in a little low anthropology for young Jamie. I think that you might be so sure that you are one in a million, but sometimes you forget that out there, you're just one in 11. Richmond, Lasso's team on which Jamie Tart is considered that star, suffers Tart's addiction to his own glory. His self-interest diminishes his teammates, only carries him to the brink of the glory he seeks, and easily illustrates the hubris found in Greek tragedy or put in mockingbird ease, exposes the limitations of the theologians of glory that lure Jamie away from Richmond for more, or he really becomes less. It'll take some time for Jamie Tart realizes that getting what you want does not always deliver on its promises. Misunderstanding ourselves, misunderstanding anthropology, takes many forms. Luther described the source for these misunderstandings as theologians of glory. I mean, it's there in the Heidelberg Disputation. A theologian of glory says that evil is good and good is evil. Our modern sensibilities might bristle. That's a suggestion that Jamie Tart is a product of theologies of glory. Does he really say 
Does Jamie really say evil is good and good is evil? I couldn't read it in the script. But he does represent what happens when we get our anthropology wrong. These anthropological misunderstandings make up human history, according to Alan Noble. In his recent book, You Are Not Your Own, he writes, in some ways, history is the story of civilizations misunderstanding anthropology in one way or another, leading to terrible results. And in Jamie's world, you're your own and make your own glory. After all, he tells Will, do you think you could take me name off me shirt and then put it back on, but bigger? <laughs> like Tart, we pastors often think ourselves one in a million. We convince ourselves that the burden of these people require a certain insulation, a, a certain protection. Suddenly we tell ourselves the glory story. We bought into competition for market share, hired creatives for brand creation, ignored that bait and switch is messaging manipulation, even gained publishing channels. Rung out, empty, exposed as bullies, we mock Elijah by assuming those out to take our lives or our livelihoods are the bad guys. We co-opt Elijah's exhaustion, telling anyone who will listen that we alone among all God's people are serving the Lord. And you think I'm only talking about Mark Driscoll. <laughs> the glory story comes to us subtly. I recall Dr. Nelson telling a, a group of doctor of ministry students that upon completion, of the requirements to fulfill a degree, quote, you'll be considered in the top five to 10% of pastors in the denomination and would be looked to by the largest churches in the convention. Better pay was implied, sometimes even spoken with a hush. Now, before you judge all free church, low church types by this Baptist, I've learned that my United Methodist friends are not immune to looking to see where they place among their peers in size of church, budget, and salary. The theology of glory is often as plentiful as Christian denominations and local churches. And when we encounter it, we need to do what Ted does with his tea when he's asked how he likes it. Well, usually, I take it right back to the counter because someone's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> Lassoing grace may be a bit harder than we think. About the time that we admit our need, we're drawn back into the glory story as a way of overcoming our lack. We turn to perform. I mean, even Ted illustrates how easy it is when he exclaims, if, if God would have wanted games to end in a tie, she wouldn't have invented numbers. It's important that you win and not how you play the game in the theology of glory. And if pastors know anything, well, it's numbers. Not the fourth book of the Pentateuch. No matter your denominational affiliation, someone is always looking over your shoulder expecting that you will add more bucks, more butts, and more buildings to the magisterium's reputation, even to those of us in the quasi-hierarchy for denominations that say there really isn't one. At the same time Fleming was preaching about the burden that is these people, a movement was afoot to grow the church. It is not hard to detect the theology of glory 
as subtext for the church growth movement. You may think it's too reductionistic to suggest that a theology of glory is responsible for the dark side of the church growth movement. It is not. Growth is the goal. People become numbers. Numbers get manipulated. And the stories are plenty. There are too many illustrations of the consequences of a theology of glory in Ezekiel's woe to ignore. Woe. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. Pastoring is, is no place for a, a theology of glory. Choosing to lead out of the glory story cannot be blamed on the burden that is these people. It's tart for any congregation being fed by any pastor whose theology allows for God bless me, everyone. Matthew, the gospel writer, includes unlikely and unexpected folks in his genealogy of Jesus, not the least of which are women. And when the lasso writers move to develop the characters after the first successful season, the, the pilot season, they write into the plot line their own unexpected character. Therapist Sharon Fieldstone. She arrives to great surprise and suspicion if, like Ted, we pastors are tempted to the glory story, even if we prefer a theology of the cross, we often need a rupture. The Slovenian philosopher Slavo Žižek describes this as an eruption of the real. Events occur that expose the empty core of a pattern of an ideology. Consider Luther's theologian of the cross as that instigator. He asserted that theologian of the cross says a thing is what it actually is. And in Lasso, Dr. Fieldstone is just that figure, that event, that theologian of the cross that says a thing is what it actually is. She takes time for everyone, for players, for coaches, for administration, and even team ownership. They all hear what all of us need to hear. Someone who says a thing is what it actually is, even Ted, and maybe especially Ted. She patiently waits through his obfuscation and his persistent deflection. I mean, what pastor isn't skilled at those habits? <laughs> Dr. Fieldstone tells it straight. She said to Ted, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Can a Baptist pastor say that? Can we record it? <laughs> My friend Joe Thorne wrote that the preacher first preaches the sermon to himself or herself. Okay, Joe would not say herself. I would. And I would think that in a mockingbird talk, we would talk about something that we ourselves need to hear first. And so here, here I'm saying to myself, a thing is what it actually is. And I'm daring to say 
to all of us, a thing is what it actually is. I do so knowing that saying a thing is what it actually is makes a pastor not without honor, except among his or her own kind. What is it that I'm saying? Is what it actually is? If Luther noted that we are at once sinner and saint, we pastors, even Christians, are often at the same time theologian of glory and theologian of the cross. I mean, what is the Baptist passion about Luther anyway? I mean, he knows. And what did Dr. Fieldstone know about soccer? What she did know, something that she told Ted, you may be good at your job, but I'm twice as good. After all these years, this pastor knows that in the face of our looseness, of our theology of glory, Jesus is our Dr. Fieldstone, who is twice as good at his job as we are ours. And in Jesus' cross, God tells us a thing is what it actually is. And where Ted believes in hope, where he believes in belief, we believe with Luther what Paulson described as this. And the this is the promise that gives us Jesus Christ, the promised one who is our absolution, our forgiveness, making us the absolved for his glory and our benefit. We don't lasso grace. Grace lassos us. Thank you.